Chapter 11, Part 1 of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Mourning and Burial Customs. 1. Introductory. A consideration of the mourning and burial customs, as well as the funeral rites, among the Israelites offers perhaps the most instructive illustration of their belief in immortality how entirely incompatible with the official sheol belief these customs were is one of the strongest arguments in favor of the contention that throughout the old testament history of israel from the foundation of the monarchy there was a popular as well as an official doctrine of immortality for the most part these customs go back in their origin to a remote past and they were kept up when the original meaning was forgotten then new meanings were offered one must therefore allow for a variety of reasons in some cases for the rites and customs and it is likely enough that modifications in regard to them arose owing to these reasons being given they involved what at times proved to be contrary conceptions regarding the dead. But such contradictions do not trouble men in a comparatively early stage of culture. There can be no doubt that Hartland is right when he says that, quote, Throughout the rites and observances attendant on death, two motives, two principles, are found struggling for the mastery. On the one hand, there is the fear of death and of the dead, which produces the horror of the corpse, the fear of defilement, and the overwhelming desire to ban the ghost. On the other hand, there is the affection, real or simulated, for the deceased, which bewails his departure and is unwilling to let him go. This applies, in greater or less degree, to all peoples of the ages in so far as these are known to us other elements came in in course of time especially among the more cultured nations with these we are only incidentally concerned in the following investigation our attention will be centered primarily on the hebrews the mourning customs of other semitic peoples will be mentioned for purposes of illustration and in some cases the customs of peoples other than semitic will be incidentally referred to we have not dealt in any detail with egyptian or greek customs as so much has been written on these that they are probably well known in seeking for the original meanings and objects of mourning customs and funeral rites much diversity of opinion among scholars is to be expected for the material is very large and the same rite or custom is often susceptible of several explanations conclusions must be largely based upon analogous things not only among the semites in general but also among other races as well as among savage tribes but it is supremely necessary to guard oneself against attempting to explain any of these customs from the point of view of modern times this has not infrequently been done but it is pretty nearly certain to obscure the original meaning when one contemplates the nature of some of the early conceptions among the israelites regarding the dead referred to in the previous chapters it must be granted that in seeking the original meaning and object of a mourning custom analogies may in some cases be drawn from men's actions when they believe themselves to be in the presence of a deity it is in all probability not a mere coincidence that the regular period for mourning lasted seven days see genesis chapter fifty verse ten first samuel chapter thirty one verse thirteen judith chapter sixteen verse twenty four wisdom of ben sirach chapter twenty two verse twelve etc and that this was also the length of feasts in honor of the deity there can be no sort of doubt that the souls of the departed were believed like the deity 
only of course in a less degree, to be able to benefit and to harm men on earth. A striking example of the interest which the dead were believed to take in the affairs of the living is to be found in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15, where Rachel is conceived of as weeping for her children. In the following discussion on mourning customs, this subject will be touched upon more than once. The classification of these customs and rites is difficult, mainly because of the different meanings and objects that a particular custom may have. Some are done in relation to the dead, others in relation to the survivors, yet others may have a twofold object. The classification in the following pages may not be scientific, but it will be found convenient. We shall first deal with rites and customs carried out by the mourners for or to themselves, then those done by the mourners for or to the dead. This will not mean that the rite or custom in question is necessarily done exclusively for the benefit of either the living or the departed, but it will divide those things which the living do to or for themselves primarily, and those which they do to or for the dead primarily. 2. The Rending of Garments Genesis chapter 37 verses 33 and 34 It is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him, Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces, and Jacob rent his garments. Second Samuel chapter 1 verse 11 Then David took hold of his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. See also Second Samuel chapter 3 verse 31, etc., etc. A similar custom was in vogue among the Babylonians and Assyrians when Ashurbanipal poured out his libation to his dead predecessors, he appeared in rent garments. The ideogram for the rending of garments is explained in Assyrian by overwhelming grief and uncontrollable wrath. In like manner, the Arabs rent their garments as a sign of mourning, and the women went half-naked. Compare Isaiah chapter 32 verse 11. Among the ancient Greeks, the women followed the dead to burial practically naked, though it does not necessarily follow from this that they rent their garments. This was, however, the custom among other people. Various theories have been put forward in explanation of this rite. In the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 the idea of its being a symbolic action seems to underlie the prophet's words turn ye unto me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments but this would in any case be a developed idea in no sense answering to its original meaning if we are to be guided by the Assyrian explanation, and there is certainly much to commend it, we must look upon it as an oriental way of expressing unbounded grief combined, it may be, with an undefined feeling of fear. We all know the tendency of the oriental to give way to what to the western appears exaggerated emotional expression since the death of a near relative must often be regarded as a crisis in the lives of the survivors one can understand the naturalness of unrestrained grief finding vent in what to modern ideas may appear unexpected forms a third explanation connects it with the putting on of sackcloth it is true that we often find the two rites mentioned together. For example, in the passages just cited, and in Isaiah chapter 32 verse 11, stripping oneself of clothes seems to be for the purpose of girding on sackcloth. The reference is to women. 
it has therefore been explained that the rending of the garments took place as the quickest mode of getting them off in order to put the sackcloth on this would again be a case of oriental exaggerative action and impulsiveness lagrange who also sees a direct connection between the two rites believes however that the rending of the garments was not so much with the idea of putting on the sackcloth quickly as to make an immediate profession of the desire not to wear anything but the coarsest material he believes that the rent garment was meant to be a visible proof of the renunciation of pleasant intercourse among one's fellows while it is realized that there is something to be said for each of these four explanations they do not seem to go sufficiently to the root of the matter to be wholly satisfactory the symbolism theory is confessedly a development which is altogether edifying but which does not profess to explain the origin of the right this too is the objection to the assyrian explanation doubtless to ashurbanipal and his contemporaries the right expressed grief but there must originally have been some reason for this form of the expression of grief and in regard to the other two explanations these take for granted that there was always a connection between the rending of the garments and the putting on of sackcloth but what proof have we of this indeed we know that this was by no means always the case as for example among the arabs and greeks who went half naked if not wholly so it is acknowledged on all hands that the right of rending the garments as a sign of mourning goes back to remote antiquity but even during the nomadic stage it may well be doubted whether this change of garments ever took place after all the sackcloth roughly woven of the hair of goats or camels was only the normal dress of early nomads the explanations given above may well all have had their place at different periods but none of them fits in satisfactorily with the ideas of man in an early stage of culture during which there is every reason to believe this right originally arose other explanations have been given which take into fuller consideration the ideas of man in a low stage of culture that at one time the spirits of the departed were regarded with fear is too well known to need illustration the powers superior to those of men which they were believed to possess would be quite sufficient to account for this fear nor would the fact that in some respects they were thought to be dependent on the living necessarily detract from this fear nor would affection for the departed be inconsistent with a feeling of fear the fact of their invisibility combined with the firm belief in their presence would also have inspired dread in short whatever the causes fear of the dead existed it is held then by many authorities that the original object of rending the garments was a quick way whereby to disguise oneself from the dead and thus escape detection in the case of any harm which the departed spirit might intend another theory based upon the well-known belief among men in a low stage of civilization that demons gather in the vicinity of a corpse is that the garment is rent in order to prevent some evil disposed demon or the spirit of the departed himself from hiding in the mourner's clothes a rent in the garment being considered a sure means of driving him away again robertson smith is inclined to see in the right the relic of what was originally intended to be an offering to the dead he says quote, closely allied to the practice of leaving part of oneself whether blood or hair in contact with the god at the sanctuary 
are offerings of part of one's clothes or other things that one has worn such as ornaments and weapons in the iliad glaucus and diomede exchange armor in token of their ancestral friendship and when jonathan makes a covenant of love and brotherhood with david he invests him with his garments even to his sword his bow and his girdle first samuel chapter eighteen verse three and following among the arabs he who seeks protection lays hold of the garments of the man to whom he appeals or more formally ties a knot in the head shawl of his protector in the old literature pluck away my garments from thine means put an end to our attachment the clothes are so far a part of a man that they can serve as a vehicle of personal connection hence the religious significance of suspending on an idol not only weapons ornaments and complete garments but mere shreds from one's raiment the rag offerings are still to be seen hanging on the sacred trees of syria and on the tombs of mohammedan saints they art not gifts in the ordinary sense but pledges of attachment it is possible that the rending of garments in mourning was originally designed to procure such an offering to the dead this is very suggestive the rite according to this theory would denote a mark of affection on the part of the survivor for the departed there is however an alternative the old semitic idea of the garment being part and parcel of a man would be some justification for regarding this rite as a palliative of lacerations of the body on behalf of the dead this too would be a relic of an offering to the dead but it would be in the nature of a propitiatory offering rather than a mark of affection the fact that laceration of the body as well as rending the garment are both referred to in the old testament would of course not militate against this view we have other cases of ancient practices together with modifications of them existing side by side still less would this view be invalidated by the further fact that the rending of the garment was not exclusively a mourning custom but was also practiced at a time of calamity for there were a variety of these mourning customs of which the same can be said in each case it was an adoption of the much earlier mourning custom the tenacity of such like customs is well illustrated by the fact that even at the present day orthodox jews make a rent in their outer garment as a sign of mourning it must be not less than four inches that is a handbreadth in length it is the custom among the persians to-day to make a rent in the outer garment from the neck to the girdle the jews are now permitted to sew up the rent again after thirty days but this was not allowed for centuries after the beginning of the christian era three laceration of the body and cutting off the hair these practices have already been referred to but as mourning customs a few remarks upon them are called for here the old testament references have been given above the more important views in explanation of the rite are as follows the opinion that these practices were originally offerings to the dead and that they witness to the existence of the cult of the dead at some early period is denied by some scholars we believe that in face of all the facts the view of these scholars cannot be sustained but these practices may have very likely have had other purposes in addition to their original one for as already remarked some mourning customs did undoubtedly serve more than one purpose the same rite sometimes expresses more than one intention there are good reasons for believing that in its original form 
laceration of the body was practiced over the dead, so that the blood dropped upon the corpse. This may have signified either that a blood covenant with the dead was effected, or, bearing in mind the ancient belief of life residing in the blood, it may have had the purpose of assisting the departed in his new life. The view that the laceration was intended as a disguise, in order that the mourners might be unrecognizable to the departed spirit, in case he should return and harm them, has much in its favor, and can be supported by the existence of practices which had a similar object. The idea that laceration, by letting blood flow, that is, by letting out life, had the effect of bringing the survivor to the same state as the dead, seems fantastic to moderns. But that this was one of the beliefs is proved by an ancient Arabic poem in which it is said, Of a truth the mourner who scars his face as a sign of mourning is no more living than he that is buried, for whom a memorial stone is erected. This is certainly a modification of earlier belief. Further, it is probable that we have a modification of the rite itself in the custom of beating the breast or thigh, referred to in Isaiah chapter 32, verse 12. They shall smite upon the breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 19. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. Compare Ezekiel chapter 21, verse 12. Such modifications, taking some palliative form of the original rite, can be paralleled by other Semitic religious customs, for example, the redemption of the firstborn. The mourning custom of cutting off the hair also comes under the category of those which may be regarded as expressing more than one intention. The chief Old Testament passages which deal with the subject have already been given, but they may be supplemented here by one or two others. In Isaiah chapter 15 verse 2, it is said, in reference to the mourning, On all heads is baldness, every beard is cut off. Jeremiah bids Jerusalem cut off her crown. Hair is probably implied. And cast it away, and take up a lamentation on the bare heights. Chapter 7 verse 29 This is not in reference to mourning for the dead, but it has already been pointed out that some of the customs for general mourning for calamity have been adopted from those of mourning for the dead. Compare Jeremiah chapter 41 verse 5. In Ezekiel chapter 27 verse 31, in the Lamentations on Tyre, the prophet says, And they shall make themselves bald for thee, and gird them with sackcloth, and they shall weep for thee in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. Compare verses 1 through 4. This custom was in vogue among the Assyrians, the Arabs, the Greeks, and many other peoples. The purpose of the practice, apart from what has been earlier said as to its being an offering to the dead, is well expressed by Hartland. Quote, One object, at all events, of the dedication of the hair is, like that of the blood, to form a bond of union with the dead. The converse rite of taking a lock of hair of the dead may be said to be worldwide. Nor is it confined to a lock of hair. It extends, in some cases, to the nails and pieces of the garments. It must be borne in mind that, according to the theory of sympathetic magic, any portion of a human being, such as hair, nails, skin, bones, and so forth, 
which has become detached, is still, in spite of separation, an effective sympathetic union with the body of which it once formed part. For the personality inheres in every part of the body. Not only, therefore, if I take a lock of a dead man's hair, do I establish effective union with him, so as to prevent him from inflicting any harm upon me, but, conversely, if I give him a lock of mine, or a drop of my blood, we are bound together by a similar bond. This is also evidently the view of Robertson Smith. It is conceivable that the custom of covering the head was a modification of this rite, but other and more cogent reasons for it have been put forward. 4. Putting on sackcloth. Second Samuel chapter 3 verse 31. And David said to Joab, and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes, and gird you with sackcloth, and mourn before Abner. Amos chapter 8 verse 10. And I will bring sackcloth upon all loins, and I will make it as the mourning for an only son. Etc. Etc. That this custom was in vogue among the Babylonians, Assyrians, and other peoples, is what we should expect. It does not, however, appear to have been in use among the ancient Arabs. The women went half-naked, and the men shortened their garments. But the putting on of sackcloth is not mentioned, apparently. The Hebrew expression is, to gird on sackcloth which suggests that it was originally only worn round the loins. It has, therefore, been conjectured that the custom arose, in the first instance, by rending a piece from one's garment and girding it round the loins. This implied that one was reducing oneself to a primitive state of dress, which meant putting on a sacred dress. The ancient way was always regarded as holy by early man. Compare 1 Kings chapter 20 verse 31. It is therefore quite conceivable that among the Israelites of historical times to put on sackcloth meant that a holy garment was worn in honor of the dead. Whether this originally implied an act of worship or not cannot be stated with certainty but presumably this would have been the case, provided this explanation of the custom be the correct one. Others hold that the custom arose from the same cause as that for which, as they maintain, the garment was rent, namely, to disguise oneself from the dead, lest being annoyed at his forcible separation from his accustomed mode of life, he should be inclined to vent his displeasure on the survivors. Hartland thinks it was intended to mark those who were under the taboo. In speaking of the mourning garb generally, which is everywhere an essential part of mourning observances, he says, quote, Primarily it seems intended to distinguish those who are under the taboo. For this reason, it is usually the reverse of the garb of ordinary life. Those who wear clothing go naked, or wear scanty, coarse, or old, worn-out clothes. He then goes on to show what is a very important point, namely, that a mourning custom may have more than one use, and may, therefore, sometimes have more than one meaning. The mourning garb, he says, quote, is more than merely distinctive. It is, like other mourning rites, intended to express sympathy for the deceased and grief at his loss. It is intended to call forth pity, to avert the suspicion of foul play on the part of the mourner, and to deprecate the anger or ill-humor of the deceased at his separation. Close quote. Then, 
in opposition to the view that it is put on for the sake of disguise he says quote, it has sometimes been suggested that there is a further motive namely the desire to escape by means of disguise the persecution of the deceased a careful examination fails however to disclose sufficient evidence in favour of this interpretation protection is often held to be needed but it usually takes a different form in short open war rather than guile is the favourite defence but so protean are human motives that it is impossible to aver that in no case is disguise the intention arising out of a very different train of thought is the explanation given of the right by those who see in it a symbolic act of renunciation that is reducing oneself to a simulated state of poverty sackcloth was the dress of the very poor and thus bringing oneself to the same condition as the departed who now possessed nothing this view of the right being a symbolic act of sympathy with the deceased is well expressed by torge Quote, one ought to become like the departed to renounce everything and to possess no advantage over him that is one ought also to die but as this was not feasible all the necessaries of life were reduced to a minimum the usual mode of life was set aside its direct antithesis was adopted instead everything was neglected which at other times constituted the joy and delight of life this would be the less distasteful to the mourners inasmuch as they believed that the spirit of the departed witnessed what was being done and experienced satisfaction at the affection thus evinced all these views again have much to commend them and against each there are some fairly obvious objections which could be raised it is very difficult to form a definite conclusion as to what the right originally meant to those who practised it schwally's view seems on the whole to be the most satisfactory especially as it implies so it seems to the present writer that the putting on of sackcloth was not one of the earliest among the mourning rites the modern usage among jews is the same as that of the rest of the world black clothes having taken the place of sackcloth five sprinkling ashes or earth on the head it is important to notice how rarely this custom is mentioned in the old testament in reference to mourning for the dead it does occur in this connection but only in quite a few passages in the great majority of cases in which the custom is spoken of it is in reference to calamity humiliation contrition or grief owing to causes other than that of the loss of friends three words are used afer or ashes in the ordinary sense of the word for example the ashes of a red heifer numbers chapter nineteen verses nine and ten where the reference is to purification by putting the burnt remains of the sacrifice without the camp and using them for a water of separation or impurity it is a sin offering this water of separation is sprinkled on a man and he is cleansed thereby see verse 13 it is used in reference to mourning in jeremiah chapter 6 verse 26 o daughter of my people gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes make thee mourning as for an only son most bitter lamentation in ezekiel chapter 27 verse 27 and following it is said of tyre thy riches and thy wares with all thy company which is in the midst of thee shall fall into the heart of the seas in the day of thy ruin 
and all that handle the oar the mariners shall cause their voice to be heard over thee and shall cry bitterly and shall cast up dust upon their heads they shall wallow themselves in ashes in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning but even in this passage although there is a reference to death the mourning is evidently more on account of the ruin of tyre than because of those who have died by falling into the heart of the seas otherwise the sprinkling of ashes on the head and sitting in ashes is a sign of grief brought about through other causes such as contrition job chapter forty two verse six isaiah chapter fifty eight verse five jonah chapter three verse six daniel chapter nine verse three or sickness job chapter two verse eight or shame second samuel chapter thirteen verse nineteen or national calamity esther chapter four verses one and three it is also used in a figurative sense to denote something that is insignificant genesis chapter eighteen verse twenty seven or worthless job chapter thirteen verse twelve isaiah chapter forty four verse twenty compare psalm one hundred forty seven verse sixteen he scattereth the hoar-frost like ashes the next word is a fair dust that is dry earth and here again the word is rarely used in connection with mourning for the dead in joshua chapter seven verse six we read that joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth before the ark of Yahweh until the evening he and the elders of israel and they put dust upon their heads but although the context speaks of the death of thirty-six men the mourning is probably due rather to the calamity of defeat the same remark applies to ezekiel chapter seventeen verse twenty seven and following already quoted where this word also occurs otherwise it is used though less frequently like efer for example genesis chapter three verse thirteen lamentations chapter two verse ten job chapter two verse twelve isaiah chapter forty seven verse one in its sense of soil used for ordinary purposes it is of course common but there is one specific way in which it is used which requires emphasis viz as earth from a grave thus in job chapter seven verse twenty one it is said for now shall i lie down in the dust and thou shalt seek me diligently but i shall not be job chapter twenty verse eleven his bones are full of his youth but it shall lie down with him in the dust job chapter twenty one verse twenty six they lie down alike in the dust and the worm covereth them psalm twenty two verse twenty nine all they that go down to the dust shall bow before him even he that cannot keep his soul alive compare isaiah chapter twenty six verse nineteen then we have the common words for earth these ademe for example second samuel chapter one verse two behold a man came out of the camp from saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head though this is not used where it is a question of mourning for the dead but only in cases of humiliation or calamity there are thus comparatively few references in the old testament to this custom in connection with mourning the passages quoted or referred to above are fairly exhaustive nevertheless there can be no doubt that as a mourning custom it was very common in israel this is clear from the way in which it is spoken of for example in jeremiah chapter six verse twenty six namely as a well-known thing which needs no explanation moreover 
its very wide prevalence among semitic and other peoples of itself suggests that the israelites would have been like the rest of men in this thus the arabs sprinkled dust on their heads and on their naked backs the greeks showed their sorrow at bereavement by strewing themselves with ashes and the practice of sprinkling ashes over the head as a sign of affliction is widespread connected with this rite was the sitting in ashes or on the ground see for example isaiah chapter three verse twenty six chapter forty seven verse one lamentations chapter two verse ten job chapter one verse twenty chapter two verse thirteen jonah chapter three verse six which was also common among the babylonians in seeking the origin and meaning of this custom it is important to consider where the dust and ashes were sought lagrange in commenting on passages like job chapter two verses eight and ten and chapter forty two verse six says il s'agit de cet être placé à l'entrée des villages et qui se compose de débris le fond du tumulus c'est le cendre qu'on enlève des fours à cuire le pain puis avec le temps c'est une masse de fine poussière lorsqu'une ville est prise détruite brûlée c'est le refuge naturel des habitants là on peut s'asseoir sur la poussière ou sur la cendre se rouler dans le cendre se mettre de la poussière sur la tête ou faire les deux à la fois avec le temps l'usage de se placer de la cendre sur la tête devint le symbole d'une violente douleur lorsqu'on venait annoncer une mauvaise nouvelle le rite était de rigueur mais il est du moins assez à noter que dans ce cas c'est de la terre que le messager ramasse sur son chemin et cela parut ensuite suffisant comme expression de la douleur dans aucun de ces textes il n'est question de la mort et du deuil qu'elle crée dans une famille par le départ d'un de ses membres sans doute la mort est la cause principale de toutes les actions qui marquent de la douleur mais ne peut-on pas supposer aussi que les calamités nationales ont opéré dans les âmes une émotion spéciale occasionnée des rites spéciaux dès lors ce n'est pas dans ces rites qu'il faut chercher à entrevoir l'opinion qu'on avait de la survivance puisque le témoignage de la douleur était rendu plus directement aux vivants qu'aux morts we have quoted this passage in full in order to give the writer's argument in his own words the theory is interesting and ingenious and if the statement contained in the last sentence always held good the argument would be very strong but when one has such a passage as jeremiah chapter six verse twenty six gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes make thee mourning as for an only son it seems pretty clear that the rite was originally transferred from one which had the purpose of evincing grief for the sake of and probably as was believed in the sight of the dead rather than with any thought of consideration for the living according to lagrange's view this custom must be a very late one if it originated as he seems to imply as a result of national calamities that is after settled city life had taken the place of the nomadic life but there is every reason to suppose that it goes back to a time long before settled life in cities had arisen the fact of its existence or something equivalent to it among savage communities points to this we believe that the rite in its origin was a mourning custom pure and simple and that in course of time it was adopted as a sign of mourning on the occasion of any calamity national as well as individual the rare reference to the custom in the old testament in connection with mourning for the dead together with the clear indication here and there that it was practiced on such occasions this taken together with the further fact that it is often spoken of in connection with other forms of calamity simply means that in the old testament we see the process going on 
of the old custom being kept up in a new connection and its original meaning and significance dying out or more probably entirely forgotten as to that original meaning and significance it is probable that a hint of this is to be discerned in those passages in which the word efer or dust is used of earth from a grave they are cited above if that was the place whence the dust was gathered originally then the significance will be seen to be very striking the ancient arabs had a magic way of assuaging their grief for the loss of some dear one they took some dust from his grave mixed it with water and drank it if this meant anything at all and all these things did mean something very real to the people of old it meant that contact with what was connected with the dead such as the soil on the grave whether from the dug grave or from a rock-hewn tomb had an effect upon the living which was to them as real as anything could be if this interpretation of the origin of the rite should be correct it would give an explanation which would be more satisfactory than those usually given for it touches upon something which was of real importance to the mourner of old to him it was an act of profound significance it gave him what was and is after all the prime desideratum of the mourner comfort in his sorrow when we read of ashes that is cinders as well as dust that is powdered earth being sprinkled on the head this may well be an echo of an original custom of taking the ashes remaining from sacred offerings to the dead compare with second chronicles chapter sixteen verse fourteen and chapter twenty one verse nineteen six fasting first samuel chapter thirty one verse thirteen and they took their bones that is those of saul and his sons and buried them under the tamarisk tree in jabbath and fasted seven days compare the parallel passage first chronicles chapter ten verse twelve where it is the oak or terebinth in jabesh second samuel chapter one verse twelve and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for saul and for jonathan his son and for the people of Yahweh, and for the house of israel because they were fallen by the sword see also second samuel chapter three verse fifteen chapter twelve verses sixteen and seventeen genesis chapter one verse ten etc this custom was also in vogue among the ancient arabs and was practiced more especially by the women it does not seem to have played an important part among the babylonians for there are not many references to it but it is impossible to believe that it was not generally practiced it is also known to have existed among the greeks and also among savage peoples it is difficult to discover the origin and to find a really satisfactory explanation of this rite to say that it is merely the adaptation to mourning of a custom practiced generally for other purposes is simply to ignore the difficulty it has been explained as quote, propitiatory of the ghost as a practice contrary to ordinary actions and so resembling the actions of the land of ghosts which differ from those of this earth Close quote or according to fraser it was supposed to have the effect of preventing the spirit of the deceased from entering into the body of the living and harming him the hungry ghost might be tempted to do this if he perceived food in the body hence the efficacy of the fasting this idea may strike us as absurd but it is entirely in accordance with the ways of thought of uncultured man the explanation seems inadequate 
but for the reason that it postulates enmity on the part of the ghost. It is certain, however, that it was not always believed that the ghost was inimically inclined to the living. Further, the idea that food was abstained from, lest it should be polluted by the presence of the dead, and thus affect the living, seems unsatisfactory in view of the very fact of that presence. The danger of pollution from the dead, directly, was at least as dangerous as that of its acting, indirectly, by means of food. Another explanation is that, quote, actual grief, making mourners indifferent to the pangs of hunger, may have given rise to fasting as a conventional sign of mourning. This assumes a very widespread effect due to grief, the existence of which is not borne out by the facts of experience. Men usually get hungry, grief or no grief. It is the exception when the poignancy of grief is such as to drive hunger away excepting for quite short periods taking into consideration the mode of envisaging things among uncultured men there is much to be said in favour of schwally's interpretation he regards the rite as analogous to that of fasting in order to propitiate a god and avert his wrath there is here however the objection to be raised again that this theory assumes fear of the deceased on the part of the living, and this cannot always be postulated. It is, once more, Robertson Smith who seems to us to have hinted at the true explanation. The fast was a sacred preparation for the funeral feast. Quote, the usage of religious fasting is commonly taken as a sign of sorrow, the worshippers being so distressed at the alienation of their god that they cannot eat. But there are very strong reasons for believing that, in the strict oriental form in which total abstinence from meat and drink is prescribed, fasting is primarily nothing more than a preparation for the sacramental eating of holy flesh. Close quote. It was this idea that lay at the back of fasting as a mourning custom. The funeral feast which followed was also a partaking of holy food. That there are cases on record in which the fasting follows the funeral feast does not vitiate this theory, since we are dealing with what was the original object of the custom. When that had been forgotten, all kinds of varieties could arise. Among modern Jews, this custom has been greatly modified. Only meat and wine are prohibited, and the mourner must eat in solitude. But if the Sabbath or a holy day supervenes, these rules are suspended. During the period of death and the carrying out of the corpse for burial, all eating in the house of the dead is forbidden. End of chapter 11, part 1